0: So let's pray, uh, Father. We just uh, we just thank you for Jesus and Lord. We do wait for you and Lord. It's going to be uh, just an awesome time in heaven where we all gather around and worship you. And I just thank you that uh, you've made a way for us, Lord. Just fill it with your Spirit tonight that uh, we could learn that we could learn about you, Lord. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our Genesis. Twenty five. So Genesis twenty five is it's not on any one of these sheets that you've got, so but you'll see when we get there. So if you're I don't know, people are shuffling papers. Hmm, where's that at? It's not on there. Uh, so starting in verse one, it says uh it says Abraham took a wife and her name was Keturah. So I think it's pretty amazing. Abraham after uh after you know his marriage to Sarah and uh, last week Sarah died and and uh they buried her, and he married again and uh you can see uh, and she bore him her name was Keturah, and uh she bore him Zimran Jokstan midan Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Uh, Jokstan begot Sheba and Dedan, and the sons of Dedan were Ashuram, uh, <laughs> Lits, and Lahum. And the sons of Midian were Epha, Epher, uh, Hanak, Abadah, and Elda. These were the children of Keturah. So uh, another genealogy. And uh, you know, we uh, uh, we only hear about out of all those names, two of the sons of uh, Keturah were ever kind of brought up in Scripture again, and uh, uh, the Bildad, who was uh, one of the sons of Shua, and uh, he was uh, one of Job's friends. So, if you're going to look in the Book of Job, you'd run into this guy named Bildad, and he was a he is a Shuamite. Uh, the other one was. Uh, Midian, and he's the father of the Midianites, and, and we'll see here in, in the future, uh, Moses actually spent 40 years of his life in, in Midian, with the Midianites. His his life is basically broken up into uh, three 40-year segments. He, he spent the first 40 in Egypt, and then he spent the next 40 uh, with the Midianites, and he actually met his wife there, and uh, her dad, uh, Jethro, you know, if you remember when they're in the desert, things were kind of in disarray and Jethro kinda of gave uh Moses to the advice to, hey, you know, you need to get, get need to get some more organization here. He helped him set up an organization to take care of all these people. Uh uh the the rest of the names as far as I'm concerned were uh an exercise in pronunciation, which uh uh you know, which is pretty tough and, and most of the genealogies are like that, but But the genealogies are really important. We kind of touched on this a few weeks back. uh, And uh, uh, they're important to God. I mean, all these names are in the Bible for a reason. We may not know all of the reasons, but uh, I've been thinking about uh, Enoch for a few weeks now. And, you know, know, we've looked at the, the, the family tree of, of Abraham, and he was a descendant of Shem. Okay, and so Noah had three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And and so uh, Abraham descended from those guys, from Shem. Well, Shem, he's a, the son of Noah, but Noah's uh, father was Lamech, and Lamech's father was Methuselah, and most of us have heard of Methuselah, and then Methuselah's father was Enoch. And so uh, this is uh, buried in a very long genealogy in Genesis chapter 5. I'm just going to lift the verses out. And if you want to turn to your Bibles, it's in Genesis 5, uh, starting at verse 21 through 24. You can write it down. You can go back and look at it. But Enoch was kind of a, a special guy. Um, so he's, he would be what uh, Noah's great-great-grandfather Something like that. Uh, Anyway, so starting in verse 21, it says, Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. And after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. Uh, So the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So uh, in that whole genealogy, uh, Enoch kind of stands out because, number one, he... Only made it three hundred and sixty five years, so that's like kind of like dying in young middle age in our times and uh basically it doesn't he just basically uh, for lack of a better term, he got raptured out and so what you do is you have this picture uh before the flood, right there was a judgment, right the flood was obviously a judgment, and so before the flood, you have this Enoch who was actually kind of a type of the church really because uh, we believe that that before the Great Tribulation, the church is going to be taken up. So it's not like a foreign concept for us to even think about that because back before the flood, that exact thing happened with uh, Enoch. So you have Enoch, which is kind of like a type of the church, actually buried in this genealogy. The, the next thing is, is that Enoch named his uh, son uh, Methuselah, so we all know Methuselah was like the oldest man to ever live. But I think 969 years. Uh, he's out there. Uh, the interesting thing is is that uh, Methuselah's name actually means his death shall bring judgment. And the year that Methuselah died is the year that the flood came. And so uh, it kind of obscure names and a genealogy but uh, God has a reason for all of those names, and, you know, uh, you know. prior to Jude, Jude wrote in Jude, he, he talked about how it's going to be in the end times, and he referenced Enoch, the seventh from Adam, how uh, it's going to be like it was in his days, and so until Jude wrote that, I think most people, I don't know what the, the, the ancient Hebrews thought of this Enoch guy, except for the he walked with God, and he was gone. Certainly, he wasn't thinking. They weren't thinking in terms of uh, him, you know, being raptured out like the church is going to be raptured out. So, so anyway, I just wanted to. I, I had to go back to Enoch before we got too far from him. Back in Genesis, uh, verse five, it says, "And Abraham gave all he had to Isaac, but Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines which Abraham had." While he was still living, he sent them eastward, and he sent Isaac, his son, uh, to the country, away from his, Isaac, his son, to the country of the east. So so Abraham's making plans, and it's not uncommon, uh, especially in, this, in the type of culture that they were in, that he would send away all these people and get them away from Isaac so when Abraham does pass, Isaac is the obvious heir, and there's not... Uh, people trying to kill him, uh, basically. I mean, that was a common thing to happen. And so Abraham's kind of taken business, taken care of business. He's kind of, kind of did a the ancient days version of a living trust, I'd say. So, uh, so uh, in verse seven it says, "This is the some years of Abraham's life which he lived." 175 years. Uh, Then Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and gathered to his people. And his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth. seemed like just yesterday he... He bought that cave, huh? There, Abraham was buried, in, and Sarah his wife. And it came to pass, after the death of Abraham, that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac dwelt in Beer Laha Roy. Okay, so, if, uh, if you consider this, Genesis 1 through 11 covers, uh, you know, creation, you know, uh, the fall, the flood, and it does all that basically in 11 chapters. And starting at chapter 12, we started talking about Abraham, the life of Abraham. And now we're in, what, chapter 25, so what's that? 13 chapters to deal with one man's life. And um, I think that it's it's not uh, a mistake or it's not, I guess it kind of reveals the nature of God because we can go back to the creation and if he would went into the detail on how he did the creation, we wouldn't be able to understand it. Uh, and so I think God is more concerned about uh, where we're going than where we've been, okay, just based on this. He spends his time talking about the life of Abraham and it's really I mean, it's the life of Abraham, but if you really think about it, it's about God and how God dealt with Abraham and did all the things that he did. And there's a direct connection between Abraham uh, and the New Testament. But and So we're, we're actually going to go to the New Testament tonight, but the first sheet I want to go through is, this is stuff that we've done before, but I think we, we'd do well to do it again. And so what I've done on this sheet here is I've taken uh, four different times where Abraham and and God interacted. And so starting at uh, Genesis 12, and what we're going to do, just so you understand what's going to happen, we've got all these sheets of paper tonight, but this sheet of paper here, what we're going to do is read through Genesis 12, and then we'll fill in the blanks on Genesis 12 on this one. And actually, if you're really quick, you'll be able to fill them in as we read through because it's right out of the scripture. Uh, so starting at verse 1 on Genesis 12, out this year, here, it says, uh, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people and your father's household, to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples in the earth will be blessed through you. (coughs) So as we fill in the blanks, it says, number one, it says, I will make you a great nation. This is what God's saying to Abraham. I will bless you. Number two, number three is I will make your name great. And number four, I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I would like to say that it took a lot of faith for Abram to just pick up and leave his house. I mean, I started really thinking about that. I mean, if God was to come to me and say, okay, just drop everything you're doing, pack up your stuff, and move. It, it's I don't know. It'd be very difficult. I don't know. I'd have to spend some time talking Jane into it with the grandkids and everything being here. But, uh, yeah, that took a lot of faith just to do that. So in the next one, what we're doing is we're going to remember the things that God said, and then the next one we're going to remember Abraham's life, and then we're going to take that to the New Testament. So Genesis 13, starting at verse 14, it says, The Lord said to Abraham after he had parted from him, Look around, he's just left, he's just split up with Lot, right, at this point. So, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are to the north and to the south and to the east and the west, and all the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So God's promising Abraham land. So number six is all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. And number seven, I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. So Genesis 15. After this, the, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Okay, you remember the after this. He just uh, went out to battle, okay? And so this is, uh, I would say, Abraham's uh, PTSD moment. He says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and he said, Look, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. So then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Okay, key verse. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Okay, that's major. We're going to see that in the New Testament here in a little bit. And then in uh, Genesis 17, this is the longest by far. Uh, This is the actual covenant. He says... When Abram was ninety-nine years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am Almighty God, walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you, and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked to him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations, no longer... No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you, Also I give you and your descendants after you the land which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, remember that's present-day Israel, what we would call Israel, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and and it shall be a sign, a covenant between me and you. Uh, He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male in your generations who is born in your house or bought bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant, he who is born in your house, Excuse me. Well, excuse me. I, I messed up. Start at thirteen again. He who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised. My covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the, and the uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people, and he has broken my covenant. Then God said to Abraham. As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name, and I will bless her, and also give you a son by her, then I will bless her, and she will be the mother of nations, kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed, and he said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old, and shall Sarah, who is ninety Years old, bear a child. And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. He's thinking, There's no chance of this. Then God said, No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you, and behold, I have blessed him, and will make him fruitful. And will multiply him exceedingly, and he shall beget twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. Then he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. Okay, so a whole bunch of stuff. So I'm going to look at this little flow chart and just kind of go through uh, Abraham's life and just kind of talk through that life and so he starts out at age 75 and he heads out for the land of Canaan okay we he heads out for Canaan So he starts off. So he goes to Canaan. Seventy-five. And he goes into Canaan and God speaks to him there. We were just read to it. And so Abraham builds an altar and it's significant that you can see as we go through this timeline, he's building altars all along, okay, so that he can remember uh, God, okay, so here he goes into Canaan, he's there for a while, and there's a famine comes into the land, and so he kind of breaks with God's plan, and he moves into he goes moves down to Egypt, so when he's in Egypt, he misrepresents. Uh, his wife, Sarah, he says, he kind of tells the half-truth, he says that, you know, she's actually not my wife, she's my sister. And we find out later on that everywhere he went, he actually did that. So he misrepresents Sarah. He kind of gets in some trouble, but God uh, intervenes for him while he's in Egypt, and basically the Pharaoh ends up giving him all kinds of stuff just to leave, right? Just to to leave town. And so when he comes out, He goes back to he goes back to the land of Canaan. He goes back to the land of Canaan, and and he returns to the exact same place where he was at when God first talked to him. And I think that's uh, basically significant because um, it's significant to us because as you go through life, you know, there's good times and there's bad times and there's times when you're walking with God and maybe times when you're not, and things start to go bad, you can always think back to, what was I doing when things were going right? And I think this is, I think when Abraham came out of Egypt, he probably, he'd kind of been shamed by the Pharaoh, actually. And so what he does is he goes back to that spot where God had talked to him, and he, and he goes there. So from there, they had gotten so much stuff, they had gotten so much stuff, that Lot and uh, Abram, they separate. Remember, they just had too much stuff. And so Lot, he chooses to go to Ai, and Abraham, he settles in Bethel. And you remember, Bethel means what? House of God. And what, Ai, what was that? You guys remember? A a heap of ruins, right? A heap of ruins. And so it's like, it's very typical as you go through life, You're at this spot. What what are you going to choose? You're going to choose God, or you're going to choose the world? I think AI represents the world—a heap of ruins. It's kind of ironic. And then, as they as they travel, if they as they move on, uh, uh, you can see Lot. He ends up in Sodom. So he keeps moving farther east. And what happens to Abraham is he actually moves uh, south. So he moves farther away from Lot to uh, Hebron so he's in Hebron and actually Hebron is is a, kind of like the Hebrew root for, for fellowship and so it's kind of like these two guys made their choice and so after that Lot gets caught up in this war okay this war with these uh, four kings basically from what we would call modern day Iraq they came over and they're conquering this whole area and they end up capturing Lot and, and carrying Lot away and so Abraham goes out and rescues Lot. So he rescues him. He brings him back. And uh, and then we have the scene after the battle where <clears throat> uh, they they kind of meet on the plane. <clears throat> they meet on the plane, and, uh, you know, uh, Abram's down there, and Melchizedek, who is, if it wasn't Jesus, it's a type of Jesus, he meets up, and Abraham gives him ties, and... To the king of Sodom, remember the king of Sodom, Bera? What was his name, Bera? Yeah, what his name meant, what, son of evil, right? So he, he basically, Abram at that point basically says, you know, I don't want anything from you that, that someday you might say that you, you made Abram great. So, so Abram at that point was, uh, and, and so it was right after that, we just read that in 15, That, you know, where God comes before Abraham, Abraham's sitting there thinking, oh, I just, I just like, went to battle with all these guys from from Iraq, and you know what, they're bad kings, and they knew who I am, and they're going to come back and get me. And so God comes to Abraham and says, you know, don't worry, you know, I'm your shield, your great reward. I got this under control. So, and then in 17, uh, that's when God gives the covenant of the circumcision, and so, up until now, everything that God had dealt with Abraham was like a one-way thing. Abraham, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do. I'm going to make you descendants. I'm going to give you all this land and everything. But in 17, the the first thing where Abraham had to respond, okay, and it was, uh, in my estimation, pretty severe. You know, the the covenant of circumcision. You know, it's yeah, but. It's key because uh, in the New Testament, Jews are referred to as the circumcision. And a lot of times when you're reading in a sentence, uh, they'll, they'll be talking about uh, the uh, circumcised. And so, so sometimes you have, you have to read to understand is it actually talking about an actual physical circumcision or is he talking metaphorically about circumcision. Uh, the ancient jews okay so and this is where it comes from the idea of the circumcision so if they talk about and if they're like referring to people and we're going to read about in a few minutes about the circumcision then they're talking about the jews and then the uncircumcision would be the gentiles or anybody that's not a jew everybody else so so it's kind of a This is a key point in Abraham's life and in the Jewish religion, and we're going to see it. Paul talks about it in Romans. So, you know, after this, uh, Abram and uh, Sarah, they decide that uh, as a couple that, you know, maybe God's not going to really come through this. And so they had picked up a slave named Hagar when they were back here in Egypt. And so Sarah uh, decides that it would be a good idea that they would sh- that Abraham should have a, a son with with her, and then that would be their their son. And so Abraham agrees, and they do that. And that turns out to be uh, not a really good idea at all. And uh, so eventually, uh, yeah. Eventually, what happens is. Uh, uh, Isaac is born. Isaac is born, and uh, then we know that we just read a couple of weeks ago that Abraham offers Isaac, and uh, he offers Isaac, and then we get here to where Abraham's 125, and you can see that uh, uh, he's married to Keturah. But all along the way, he's building altars, and when you get to... Uh, 22 this is the real deal here and i think we talked about it before most likely the ones before were just big piles of rocks so that as he would uh he's a nomadic tribe and as he's moving around the country they would come back the, the herds would you know they would graze and then they'd move to another place and they would graze again and sooner or later they're going to end up kind of back in the same spot again and when they get back there they see this big pile of rocks and then they could say oh yeah I remember what God did for me at this spot here, okay? I remember what God did for me. And I think that oftentimes that, well, I think that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to remember who he is and what he's done for us, okay? And so there's a lot of different ways. You know, you can build your own altar. We talked about it like maybe you could underline verses in, a, in your Bible or whatever. But Abraham, he, he built altars. And I think he probably built more than were actually recorded in uh, in the Book of Genesis. So, so he's mentioned 69 times in the New Testament, Uh, and it's key that we understand in the whole timeline of things that you know we're going through. You got Adam, you you got Noah, you got Abraham, you got Isaac. You got Jacob, you got Joseph, and then eventually now you got Moses. So it's it's important that you understand where everything fits in the timeline of uh, Israel. Okay, so he's he's before Moses, he's before the law, because what we're going to get ready. I'm setting this up so we can go to the New Testament and see how Abraham fits into the whole uh, gospel story. So he's actually used to demonstrate. Uh, salvation by grace. Paul uses Abraham uh, to demonstrate salvation by grace. And so I got slash works up there. That's just for me to remember that if if you stop and think about it, most people that uh, if you uh, if you ask them, are you going to heaven? Uh, if the answer is yes, uh, and you could say, well, if you ask them the next question, well, how do you know most of the time people say well you know i'm a pretty good person uh you know you know i haven't shoplifted anything lately or you know i haven't beat my wife or whatever you know whatever the whatever it is they've got justifying in their mind that they're a good person because it's the natural man i think that would Make you think that, you know, if I do enough good stuff, if my good stuff outweighs my bad, and then, then I'm okay with God, right? And so what happened is, is, is that, you know, after Abraham, you know, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and then 400 years of captivity, and then Moses, then when they were coming out of the, the promised land, they had to, you know, he had to write the laws. They had all these laws, and so everybody had to keep all these rules, they had over 600 of them. They had to keep all these rules. And so it's very, uh, it's very convenient that, you know, you could, hey, if I follow this, 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 and this, and I'm good with God. I'm good. And what had happened is by the time Jesus came around, they had interpreted a law of the point of ridiculous. So he had to come in and intervene in time. So, so Romans chapter 4 is where we're going to go. And so, before we go there, I just when I went to Bible college, there was a this guy Ron Barnes there, and he's pretty pretty nice guy. Uh, and he wrote this thing, the Romans rap. And so it's on your and what it is, it's an outline of Romans, and Romans is a uh, it's uh, basically Christian doctrine from A to Z the way I look at it. Um, it's different than the other letters that Paul wrote. Most of the other letters that he wrote. He had been there, he had started a church, and then uh, the letters he wrote was to address problems that were uh, happening in the church. Uh, Romans was a little different. When he wrote this letter, he had never been there. So I think he wrote in Romans everything that, everything that he had actually taught in all the other places. And so it's a little bit different. And so it's, uh, Paul was a lawyer, and so he's very organized in the way he wrote things. And most of his letters follow kind of the same general pattern. Where He talks about God up front. He gives you all these reasons of, you know, uh, how God saved you and how God is good. And at the end, it's kind of like, okay, because of all that, now this is how you ought to live your life. So that's kind of the way his letters are set up. He kind of brings glory to God and then and then at the end says, okay, this is how you should live your life. So in Romans... It's divided up, and so I won't wrap it for you. But Romans chapters 1 through 3, the righteousness of God is what I need. So this whole righteous thing, I'm going to talk about that just for a second. To be righteous is just to be always right. God's always right. All right? I mean, it's as simple as that. So in 1 through 3, he's basically saying, uh, you know what? Because the only way that we're righteous is if God gives that to us if he credits it you know right abraham believed god and he credited him as righteousness right so the only way we can get it is if god gives it to us well romans one through three was set up to make you believe it says one through romans chapters one through three the righteousness of god is what i need and i remember the first time we went through the book of romans uh, at my house and we're reading through this And uh, I didn't have this outline. I was just blundering through the book of Romans. I remember we read through it, and we're probably somewhere in Romans chapter 3, and I remember somebody piping up and saying, I don't know if I like this or not. And, And that's the exact response that you should have in Romans chapters 1 through 3 because Paul's in the process of convicting the whole world of sin, okay? So... When you're in chapters one through three, you realize the righteousness of God is what I need. Okay, so then chapters four and five, the righteousness of God He freely provides. So it goes through and it kind of explains how it all works, and that's where we're going to land tonight in chapter four. So then uh, Romans six through eight, the righteousness of God, how it operates. You know, and if you think about, there's a lot of classic verses in Romans. 6 through 8, right? Right? 6, what? 623? The wages of sin is, is death, right? But, fill in the blank. So then uh, 9 through 11, the righteousness of God takes Israel to heaven. So he goes through this. He explains all this Christian doctrine. And he says, oh, wait a minute. What about the Jews? How's God going to deal with the Jews? So in chapters 9 through 11, he deals with that that whole topic and then finally finishes it up chapters 12 through 16 the righteousness of god as it's seen in me so here we are at the end of the at the end of the the letter and he's saying okay based on everything that i've said now this is how you got to live your life okay so that's the romans wrap so you can uh, sometimes you can get in the middle of romans because paul is like intense and sometimes you got to pop your head up and look around where am i oh yeah So you can have an idea what's going on. This has been very helpful for me. So So Romans 4. He says, What shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? So he's basically saying that what did Abraham figure out in his life? And then there's 4 at the beginning of of a sentence. So we can say, let me explain. If Abraham was justified by works... He has something to boast about, but not before God. So I want to talk about justified. It's a legal term, right? You go to court, and you know if the if the judge finds some something in the law that he can let you go, then he's justified to let you go. So here's Paul. He says, "Let me read that one more time." He says, "For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. Hey, but not before God." And then he goes on, for what does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So the fact that Abraham believed that God was going to do what he said he was going to do, God says, you know what? I see you as a righteous man right now. That's it. Abraham believed God and he accounted it to him as righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. The next sentence explains that. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Okay? So he's explaining grace. In other words, if you believe, and then God's going to account righteousness to you. And then he goes back, he says, Just as David also describes the blessedness of a man whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. And so now he quotes David. He says, and David said, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is a man whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So Paul's a lawyer, right? So he's got the argument. He's thinking here, well, the Jews are thinking, well, David was a Jew. He said, does his blessedness then come from the circumcised only? or upon the uncircumcised also. See, now that's where he's talking about. The circumcised only, he's talking about the Jews only, or the uncircumcised. For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? See, now he's going back into the timeline. Remember in 15, Abraham believed God, and he accounted to him as righteousness. In 17 is when the covenant of circumcision comes. So Paul goes back into that timeline to say, he says in verse 10, How then was it accounted, while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be a father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of the circumcision to those who not only are of circumcision, but also walk in the steps of faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. So he's basically saying that this idea that when you believe God, uh, it's for everyone. It's not just for the Jews because when Abraham believed, he believed before he was circumcised. So and he says the circumcision is just a sign of what he had already believed. It's kind of like when we believe and then you go get baptized. It's kind of a similar type of thing, right? So when you believe, you know, you want to make a public display uh, a lot less uh, painful too. 13, for the promises... For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. See, there was some people that would try to say that, hey, you know, you need to keep all these laws again. They're trying to bring that back. So he's bringing that up. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void in a promise made of no effect, because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. So he's basically saying that, that you know, that if if the laws and keeping all the rules and working your way to heaven was good, and then all the promises that God had made to Abraham before that were like, hey, for nothing, right? So, therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only. To those who are of the law, but he's talking of the law. He's talking about the Jews now. But also to those who are of faith of Abraham, who is the father of us. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him whom he believed. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Who contrary to hope, in hope believed. So he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, Spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. So he's going back to the fact that Abraham, even when he was 100, believed that God was going to give him a child, right? And so he brings this up, Paul brings up, hey, he's 100, you know, Sarah's, you know, 90, the deadness of her womb. He did not waver in the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness." The whole thing goes back to, do you believe what God is going to do, what he says he's going to do, all right? It's, it just doesn't get any simpler than that. And so for Abraham, Abraham believed he was going to give him a son. He believed he was going to give him this land, all the stuff that God had promised to him. And, you know, if you look at all those promises, we went through them real quick tonight. The vast majority of them have already been fulfilled. It's a done deal. I think the whole extent of the land for Israel hasn't been fulfilled yet but I I guarantee it he's kept all these other promises he's going to keep that one too. So chapter it says now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him but also for us who's us? Us. Yes. Uh-huh. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead and who was delivered up because of our offenses and raised because of our justification. See, that whole justification thing comes back in again. Okay, we're justified before God because we believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead three days later. So we're justified before God. So... I couldn't stop at four, because Romans 5 starts out with a therefore. Okay? It starts with a therefore, because whenever there's a therefore, it's kind of like taking everything it just read about it and putting a little bow around it for you, right? So it says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have access by faith into his, this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Thank God for Abraham, huh? So Paul could write this. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. Uh, we just thank you for the life of Abraham. And, Lord, we just thank you for all the different ways that you've uh, uh, shown yourself to us through his life. And, Lord, I just pray as we go about and we just live our lives and do the things we always do that, that, uh, that we'd be building altars and uh, just thinking about you. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.